This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams today. Lots to talk about on today's program. Let's get into the uh, the tech news uh, to start off. Uh, one of the big stories uh, this week, Graham, Sirius XM is buying Pandora for $3.5 billion. Is Pandora even relevant anymore? Ex- explain to our listeners what Pandora is or was. So Pandora was basically a service that would allow you to stream music online. Um, there, there have been a bunch of services like this between Pandora and Last.fm that were kind of the precursor to the modern streaming services that we have. They've like, been looking like for, Spotify and Apple Music. And, yeah, and Pandora's, they've always been struggling, right? Like yes. it's, it's just, I can't, they were in Canada for a brief period of time and they got pulled back due to licensing. So for us, this has never been sort of a super relevant thing, but this is this is one of the sort of the mainstays in the industry. And it's kind of curious because when I look at SiriusXM, like there are people who are extremely passionate about it, but I don't think it's ever been something that's kind of set the world on fire. You know, the the idea of satellite radio back in the early 2000s was very compelling, like this beautiful digital radio that worked almost everywhere that you didn't have a mountain in front of you, which meant typically not here in BC. Uh, but you know, these, these two services seem sort of tailor-made for each other. Uh, struggling music services that really have passionate audiences and can't really find mainstream appeal. So, you know, the the uh, licensing and content that you get with SiriusXM, because they've got tons of great exclusive content on there with the streaming of Pandora, because SiriusXM did their own streaming, but it's never really, again, been that successful. So it seems like maybe that's the play here, is getting Pandora's licensing over to Sirius, getting Sirius's content over to Pandora. That might be the thing. It makes no sense to me, Graham. $3.5 billion for Pandora that's losing money hand over fist. $215 million last year. Uh, that's U.S. dollars. Uh, and how many paying customers do they actually have? With SiriusXM, they've got 36 million subscribers. And when they say 36 million subscribers, that's paying customers. Pandora, all I get is that it's got 70 million active users doesn't say anything about subscribers or actual paying customers. Yeah, and between Spotify and Apple Music, basically those numbers have kind of been blown out of the water yes. by these sort of up-and-comers who have achieved that in you know record time. So basically kind of looking at SiriusXM and Pandora and going, so what's the play here, guys? I don't know. And you know, how much life does satellite radio have going down with the 5G the network coming, it doesn't, right? Like, why would you send a signal out to space when we've got 5G right here that's going to be able to do it? That's that's really the thing. I suppose but there's a lot, but they got 36 million subscribers. That's a lot. Well, and here's the thing. Like, you know, when I went to buy a car the last time... Is um, that like 36 million AOL dial-up users? Kind of, yeah. right? Like, it, it's a lot of vehicles. Um, you know, I know Ford was doing, I think, a free year of SiriusXM. And yes. then basically... I, I know a lot of people, my father included, who you know looked down after two years later and was like, I've been paying for this for the last couple of years and I didn't even know that I had it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very much the AOL model, yeah. except you don't get the uh, fantastic coaster with the XM. But people I know that have satellite radio, they love it. Like I said, a they passionate love audience, yeah. right? And I mean, Howard Stern is on there and there's all sorts of uh, artists and whatnot. It's interesting because Apple's kind of taken that model with Beats One, right? Part of their Apple Music subscription, you get access to Beats One, which you've got guys like uh, Zane Lowe and uh, Julia Adenuga. And basically, I think Elton John's got a show on there as well. So taking those big names, making great content, that's what SiriusXM's always done well. And then finding an audience for it, they haven't really been able to do, so... Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see like in ten years will Sirius XM or satellite radio, let's say, be anything anymore. Yeah. I don't think it'll be called satellite radio anymore. No. 
But you know what? They might be transitioning. We saw with Netflix, remember? Mm-hmm. They were mailing DVDs out, and you're you know, thinking, well, how long is that going to last as you know, things go online? But they did. They made the transition into being an online streaming service, and now being a content king. Can Sirius XM do the same thing? Yeah. Maybe that's the play with Pandora. So if it is, I might, I might walk back my statement going, what the hell? <laughs> $3.5 billion. Um, but did they need to buy you know, that? for that price. We'll have to wait and see. We will see. We're uh, talking tech news here on Get Connected. Uh, Bitcoin mine, mining is using so much electricity that this uh, one city will pull the plug during heat waves. This was an interesting story on uh, CBC. Uh, Medicine Hat, uh, they have uh, got some Bitcoin mining operations uh, happening there. Uh, this one company, Hot 8, out of Toronto, has spent more than $100 million to develop a four-and-a-half-hectare site uh, to do Bitcoin mining. Mm-hmm. And so explain again to listeners what Bitcoin mining is, because it's still a hard thing to wrap your head around. For sure. So bit- Bitcoin essentially is uh, the representation of a digital ledger. So basically the idea that you have this logbook of all of these transactions that are, have to be verified, otherwise they don't, you know, they don't go through. Um, it's a very secure way of doing business, of transmitting money. It's also the actual process of transmitting this stuff it has become a currency. Um, unfortunately, the, the whole process of this basically is solving these equations and algorithms to uh, to basically validate this distributed ledger. And so that's the Bitcoin mining process. It takes a lot of electricity, but it's not just the electricity to solve the problem. The processors that do this generate a ton of heat. So right now, if you have, essentially, if you spend one unit of electricity uh, solving the problem, you're also spending one unit of electricity to cool this stuff down. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty hot and it's pretty inefficient. So essentially what, what they're looking at is in heat waves, you know, the, the heating costs or the cooling costs actually well exceed uh, what it is that they can afford. So they're going to turn this stuff off. There are a number of firms out there, and there's a couple of people out in Vancouver who are working on stuff that are trying to see if they can actually reduce uh, the cost of cooling. And uh, we, ha- we had a gentleman on here, Rhett Morgan, uh, a few uh, few months ago, who was talking about that. And it sounds like he might have something coming down the pipe fairly soon. So interesting stuff. Uh, Bitcoin, it's interesting because we've seen a bear market in cryptocurrency for the last eight or 10 months or so. And we're starting to hear the scuttlebutt that that bear market is over. So we do start to see the cryptocurrency prices rise and people starting to feel more confident in that market again, you're going to see a rise in mining, which means that these energy and electricity costs are going to become more important and more pertinent. Also in the news this week, Graham, uh, Google has updated features for Google search. Google is 20. It's 20. That's exciting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Can... Born out of Yahoo. Remember? <laughs> Those were the days. Remember uh, there, were, there was uh, Alta Vista and uh, was it? Ask Jeeves. Yeah. Dogpile. Lycos. Yeah. And they're like gone. Of, yeah, they're all oh gone. They're one of the sole survivors. Well, uh, Google, uh, in part of their 20th anniversary, has uh, uh, announced a, a number of new features for their search engine. I guess uh, trying to uh, bring them all together when you're searching things, creating cards, as they they call it. Yeah. So Google does a whole lot of uh, information gathering, information analysis. They've got some really smart AI on the back end. They've been really working to do things like image identification and uh, predictive behavior. And they brought all of this together in the past uh, in, in cards, which they're now calling Discover, and basically trying to figure out what it is that you're actually trying to do when you're looking for stuff. 
um, taking that information that they do find and presenting that in a better way. So looking at things like videos, for example, you know, we get a lot of video popping up. So they're actually having AI basically build these short clips to let you see kind of the highlights of the video to see if that's actually something you want to watch. Yeah, I also noticed they have a new feature they uh, call activity card. So when you've done a search, there's a little thin strip above the results, and you can click and expand that card, and it'll show you related searches and also all the searches you've done on that topic before. Yeah, so that, that one web link that you forgot to bookmark because nobody bookmarks anything anymore, you can actually go back and find again. Smart. Google Lens integration as well with the images. Have you used Google Lens? I've used Google Lens. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've got some of my photos backed up to Google Photos. I, I typically use uh, Apple's iCloud stuff. And yeah. they've both been doing a lot of machine learning. Uh, but Google Lens is kind of, I mean, it's an interesting thing being able to shoot pictures and have it identify what it is that you're taking a picture of and then do a search based on that or find more information based on that. That's a pretty slick tech. So the idea there is you can take a picture of a, a pizza place mm-hmm. and hopefully it'll know it's a restaurant and you can do a search on that. Yeah, and be able to get information based on That's that. That's kind of spooky. That's a little spooky, but I mean, this is kind of the way that we're going is again, these advanced image identification algorithms, being able to figure out what it is that we're looking at at a given time based on you know time of day, location, your habits. And of course, this couldn't be possible without the big data gathering machine that is Google. And we've talked about this in the past where you can kind of go in and turn off some of this data gathering related to your account, but Google typically finds a way to go and find that information from you anyway. If you're not uploading it, somebody else is. So, so Segway. Remember Segways? I do. They were supposed to revolutionize how cities were made. Was it Dean Kamen that was on this one? I, th- I think so. I think so, yeah. Um, well, that never really happened. No. No. See a lot of uh, cops and malls on them? Yeah. that? <laughs> Mall cops. Yeah. Using them? Yeah. They were using them at the airport for a while. Uh, Segway now has announced little, um, what do you even call them? Like little roller skates? Roller skates. Yeah. So these are like little things you step on, about the size of a roller skate. You don't strap in or anything, but you use them like a, a roller blade or a roller skate. This is just a set of broken wrists waiting to happen. What do you think? I, I think this is, I mean, great, very cool technology. Um, they show in the video a, a couple that, they look sort of like mid-30s-ish. Yeah. And I'm just looking at this going, uh, where are your knee pads? Where are your elbow pads? Where are your wrists? They're wearing helmets, so that's great. But, uh, you know... They call them the Segway Drift W1 e-skates. They're under 500 bucks. Yeah. Like, I think 400 US. They look cool. They look really cool. I yeah. mean, I would be willing to give this a go with the appropriate safety equipment. But they are they are skating down on... It looks like the boardwalk in California. I've... Well, if you look at some of their videos, some of them do have helmets on. Yeah. But, I mean, like, here, here's the thing. I've actually had two friends in the last two months suffer life-changing injuries roller skating. Uh, one guy has actually been out completely. Broke a femur, broke an arm, and he's got like months of rehab. These might be fun, but I feel like maybe they just need a little bit more time. When we come back from the break, are you in the market for a new smartwatch? Well, Apple leads the charge there. They've just released their new Series 4 watch that has two heart rate sensors, can tell when you've fallen. It's got a bigger screen. Do you need one? Well, we'll get the lowdown from Patrick O'Rourke from Mobile Syrup. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Well, uh, you probably know that Apple has uh, released a number of new products over the past few weeks here, the new iPhone XS and XS Max. They also released the new Apple Series 4 watch. Well, uh, we've uh, got someone who's spent a bit of time now with the uh, new watch. We're going to get his thoughts. We've got Patrick O'Rourke on the line from Mobile Syrup. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. Thanks for having me. So uh, have you been an Apple Watch user for a while? 
I have. I, I've probably used one, I wouldn't say on a daily basis, but pretty consistently um, since the watch first launched back in 2015. And what do you use it mostly for? So in my particular case, I kind of dabble with the health and fitness features, but I mostly use it for notifications. Um, and I guess more specifically a notification triage device. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is it, it kind of gives me this, this way to disconnect but still be connected when I want to put my phone away. Um, so the way that I have it set up is that specific notifications are sent to my wrist. So it's not replicating the experience of my phone where I'm constantly getting uh, notifications. It's only sending uh, phone calls, texts, um, and uh, important emails directly to my wrist. Um, so, yeah, that's specifically how I tend to use the Apple Watch. Well, Apple has uh, released their new newest version, Apple Series 4. Uh, this is the first time there's been a bit of a design change and a significant uh, addition of uh, uh, a few new features. Let's talk about the, uh, the screen first, uh, Patrick. What are we looking at? So the screen is bigger, um, roughly 30% uh, larger in both cases. It makes using apps a little bit more easy. It makes viewing information on the smartwatch itself more easy. And it just generally looks like a sleeker device. There's sort of these little rounded edges to the corners as well. Um, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a complete and utter redesign. It's still a smartwatch. It still looks very similar to uh, the Series 3, the Series 2, and the Series 1. It's just got this extra coat of, um, I guess you could say, gloss to it that makes it stand out and makes it a little bit sleeker of a wearable. Larger uh, screen, uh, also talking about some of the, the features built in. Uh, instead of one heart rate monitor now, it's got two. You can actually do uh, an EKG with uh, the Apple Watch. Uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, the ECG feature is really interesting. I think it's a huge step forward for Apple, especially in terms of finding a purpose for the Apple Watch. But I think the one thing that's important to note is it's not out yet. Uh, even in the U.S., people haven't run tests on it yet, so we don't know quite how accurate it is. We kind of just have to take Apple's word for it. Um, and in the Canadian market specifically, it's a little unclear where the Series 4 stands in terms of the uh, Health Canada approval process. Um, I, I have no doubt that it will probably come at some point. We just don't know when. Um, but I do think it's a really cool feature, and I think that um, it's going to be quite useful for a number of people. It's interesting uh, when we're talking about that. Uh, I actually tried out a watch band. I don't know if you ever saw this from a live car, uh, a live core, the uh, Cardio band. It's an actual uh, Apple Watch band that's got uh, a little um, sensor on it that uh, can give you uh, oh, cool. uh, an EKG or ECAG. I don't know what the difference is there. Um, but uh, I had my dad try it out, and it actually detected uh, his atrial fibrillation, uh, and he was able to take that to the doctor. So uh, I think that particular one had been approved down in the U.S. by the FDA. So nice. it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, how well the, uh, the Apple uh, one uh, works. Another feature that I thought was cool that they talked about, uh, Patrick, was uh, it can detect when you fall and actually dial 911 for you. Yeah, fall detection is a really interesting feature, I think, especially for um, maybe those that are a little older that are, are using the Apple Watch. Um, so basically, through the accelerometer um, and a variety of other factors, the Apple Watch Series 4 is able to tell when someone's had an accidental fall. Um, and then it will automatically dial emergency services after a countdown timer goes down. Um, but obviously, there's going to be some false positives in this situation, so there are a number of options. Um, when it, when a fall detection has been detected by by the series four, um, you can either call emergency services. You can say, "Hey, I fell, but I'm doing okay," um, 
or you can choose to notify uh, people that are in in your pre-created emergency contact list and let them know that you're okay as well. Um, so it, it's an interesting feature that I think uh, is useful in very specific situations, but it's it, it also, similar to the other stuff that Apple's added this year with the Series 4, it goes a long way towards giving the watch more of a purpose than it's had before. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Uh, I've fallen and I can't get up, but it's okay because I have my Apple Watch. <laughs> on, there you go. That, that's on, what it is. Um, any other features catch your eye? I mean, it's it's a subtle thing, but the digital crown now has haptic feedback. It kind of adds a tactile feel to scrolling through apps on the Apple Watch, um, which is something that I, I'm hoping to use more of now that the display is a little bit bigger. Um, I'm hoping that that larger display results in more third-party developers releasing useful apps for the Apple Watch. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. doesn't look like it yet, but it could. Um, but yeah, the digital crown, it's pretty interesting. It sort of vibrates as you're scrolling through um, things. It would be very similar to like the, the haptic feedback you would feel um, when you get a text or something like that. Uh, and it's an interesting feature. It doesn't, it's not a game changer by any means, but it's a, it's a, it's a nice to have and, and, a, and a nice change that Apple's made to the digital crown. We're talking with Patrick O'Rourke. If uh, you want, you can go over to the Mobile Syrup site and check out his uh, excellent article, uh, his review on the Apple Watch Series 4. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. No problem. Thanks for having me. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs, here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. Still lots to talk about uh, when we get into the show a little bit later. We'll be chatting about that uh, Supreme Court decision uh, regarding Rogers turning over their customers' information to uh, to the movie studios down in the U.S. who want to try to track down pirates. Well, we'll tell you what happened there and what it means to you. And, uh, of course, our app of the week at the end of the program. want to talk about uh, something for Mac users out there right now. Mac OS Mojave, the latest Mac operating system, has been released. You can download it now for free. Your Mac, uh, as long as it's uh, six years uh, or newer, mm-hmm. six years old or newer, uh, can take it. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Basically, you need to be able to run Metal, which is Apple's API for graphics. That's uh, basically the hardware and software abstraction layer that, that lets it do all the cool stuff that they do, transparencies and stuff like that. So anything older than 2012, eh, sorry. Yeah, but you know, having a laptop from 2012, that's amazing that it still works. Like, I got a MacBook Air and it's still... It's still Plugging away. This is actually my problem with Apple computers, is that uh, there's generally not a massive reason to upgrade. My 2011 MacBook Air uh, earlier this year was just kind of trucking along, and I'm like, it's not terribly fast, but it's not slow. And I was just looking at it going, I have no reason really to to get rid of this thing. So I ended up, my parents bought a condo in England. Yeah. And I actually installed it there as their FaceTime machine. So instead of having to pull their out their phones machine. and their tablets, yeah. uh, this is actually sitting on the kitchen counter where they can do their Google searches and they can FaceTime call uh, friends and family right from the kitchen. Uh, my 2012 iMac, same thing. I mean, I decked this thing out when I bought it. You know, 32 gigabytes of RAM, Fusion Drive, 2 gigabyte video card, and it still edits 4K video like it's butter. Uh, and now Mojave apparently, just like iOS 12, apparently is supposed to be just as fast, if not faster, than High Sierra, along with bringing a ton of new features. So let's talk about some of the new features. Uh, if you've got a Mac, you might want to listen up. Uh, one of the big ones uh, would be Stacks. Yes. If you've ever looked at anyone's computer desktop, even mine, 
There are icons everywhere. I've got documents all over that desktop. It, it's a mess. So Stacks is a new feature that will automatically take all that crap on your desktop and organize it into little piles. So now you've got organized piles of crap on your desktop, but at least it looks cleaner. We kind of do this with our, our desks in real life, don't yes, we? You yes. just shuffle this over here, yeah. stack that over there. These are like some financial documents. I'll stick those together. Here are some invoices. I'll put those together. That's what it's doing. You can tag all your different documents and organize it that way, or it'll automatically organize them by what file type they are, like PDFs or spreadsheets or Word documents, or uh, if you want to organize them by date as well. It's cool. Yeah. So based on the new uh, APFS, the Apple file system, that's working in the background. The metadata indexing is even faster than ever. So even if you have an older Fusion drive, they've moved that to the SSD. So this thing, when you go to search for stuff, it's really, really fast. And so I was running a beta of this uh, on my computer at home, and it's been great. It's been incredibly fast in comparison to uh, High Sierra for the same stuff because it did have that Fusion Drive. So kind of a really cool feature for cleaning things up, making it faster to find things, kind of delivering on the promise that Finder would be revamped. I mean, we've seen tons of internal systems revamped on macOS over the course of the last 18 years. Take that in for a second. 18 years? OS ten has been around since 2000. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it was, I mean, it was operating on this legacy file system. So now we've got this new file system. We've got some of these new interface features, really slick approach. Let's talk about some of the other features with the new Mac OS Mojave. We've got dark mode. I know this sounds weird. Like most people will go like, who cares? But this is a new feature you can turn on and it, it kind of reverses everything on your screen. It makes everything dark and makes the text white. And so the idea behind that is it makes it uh, for some people easier to read, like it yeah. makes it much more legible, and especially for creatives. Like we work in a you know a creative agency with video production, editing. They love dark mode. Yes, they, they do. love it. Now, here's the thing: applications have to be written for dark mode in order to use it properly. Now, if you're using like Adobe Suite, they had a dark mode built in for, uh, I, for a long time. For yeah. a long time, I use Pixelmator Pro, which is a really nice image editor, and it's got that dark interface built in already. So, if third-party apps, if they're still using, if they don't, if they're not written for dark mode, they won't have that just yet. But it will be coming. The nice thing here, though, is it's not just a straight reversal. They've actually really worked on making the colors work for your particular instance, your particular uh, use of your computer. So if you have a really bright um, background, it will actually tint the dark mode to match that so you don't get a clash of your wallpaper versus the apps. This is kind of Apple's attention to detail, right, where you can kind of choose that accent color or you can have it pick that accent color from uh, the the uh, the wallpaper to really have something that actually works together and sort of a harmonious work environment. Very, very neat approach. Look at you and your harmony. <laughs> Love it. Love some harmony. Okay. Uh, the next feature I'm really digging. It's called Continuity Camera, and this is fantastic for people that have a Mac and also an iPhone. Have you ever wanted to put a picture into a document? Uh, maybe you're doing some Craigslist stuff, right? You're taking pictures of uh, some stuff that you want to sell. Well, you know what I used to do? I used to take the picture, then I'd email that picture to myself, go into my email program on my Mac, get it out of the email, put it on the Craigslist posting. Well, now in uh, most of the native Apple apps, you can go in, for example, if you're in the Apple Mail uh, or Pages, and you can right-click, and there's an option there to take the photo directly from the iPhone in real time. So I can take a picture like of that thing on my desk, you know, that old flower vase I'm trying to sell on Craigslist for $5, and it just automatically takes it from my camera, like right in that viewfinder and right into the document. It seems like such a simple feature. I know. But it's, it's magic. 
so much time not wasted, so much space not wasted, so many actions that you don't have to take. That's the kind of thing where I look at it and I go, somebody thought of this and went, we're going to spend a ton of engineering resources on making this work because it's going to make somebody's life just a little bit better every day. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be cool. Yeah. What other features are you liking? Uh, geez. On... I'll tell you another one I'm, yes. I'm, I'm digging. Uh, the group FaceTime. I don't think it'll be out right away, but this is going to be a feature that's going to come to all the iPhones and updated uh, iOS 12 and also Mojave, I think coming up in the next weeks or months. You'll be able to FaceTime with more than one person at the same time. Up to 32 people. I don't know if my computer can handle that. <laughs> like that's a lot of people. I don't. I don't even have that many friends. <laughs> it's, it's maybe three. Well, and and the way that they're sort of looking at the interface, the way that we saw it on iPhone, it's going to be curious. Skype kind of did this in the past, where it would have someone's when they're talking, their picture would become bigger and would become in focus. With 32 people, I think that's a that's a very ambitious thing. I'm curious to see how that works, especially when you've got things like emojis and memojis put into that. But uh, speaking of processing, one of the features that I'm looking forward to as a gamer is uh, better support for external GPUs. So basically, through the Thunderbolt port, you're going to have this included. And they, they had this in High Sierra, but this is actually now kind of we're out of beta, we're releasing on time sort of thing, uh, where they have the external GPU in a casing, and you'll be able to get that performance of, say, for example, a, uh, a Radeon Vega X64 um, or the new... You're like totally nerding out right now. No one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Let's just say the top-of-the-line GPUs that cost you like between $1,000 and $1,500. Like a video you, card. Yeah, 4K 60 frames per second in the latest games. You'll be able to put that on your MacBook and have that work. That, to me, is incredibly slick. I'm looking forward to that. That's a little crazy. It's a little crazy, and I dig it. Another feature uh, with the new macOS uh, Mojave, and again, that's a free upgrade for anyone that's got uh, a MacBook capable, or any Mac that's capable uh, of running the latest operating system. You can go to their website and and see if yours uh, uh, will work, but basically it's anything that's uh, not older than six years, uh, is uh, the fact that they're allowing developers to easily migrate um, iPhone and iPad apps onto the Mac operating system. Project Marzipan is what they called this. Marzipan? Marzipan. Oh, Marzipan. <laughs> so, for example, uh, one feature on my iPhone is the uh, the Home app, mm-hmm. which is uh, the connected home, HomeKit app that controls a lot of the connected devices in my home. Well, now that's available right on the Mac as which well. Is great, which it's is like great. a port of the, the actual app from the iPhone. And so one of the things that I really like here is that my iMac does support Siri if you tap the function button twice. And so that would bring that up. And I'd actually be able to use Siri to control that on my Mac instead of having to reach for my phone. So a very neat little way of, again, controlling those scenes. Um, kind of a, it's, it's a welcome change. More iOS apps on, uh, on macOS, I think, will be a welcome change. Still lots more to talk about here on Get Connected with Mike Agarbo and Graham Williams in studio today. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Well, if you're in the market for a new tablet slash laptop, uh, we've got a hands-on review from uh, one of our friends over at IT World Canada. We've got Shruti Shakar on the line, and we're talking about the Microsoft Surface Go. Thanks for joining us, Shruti. Thanks a lot for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. So let's talk about uh, this. I know a lot of people are uh, in the market for a new laptop, tablets uh, here during the back-to-school and, and holiday season. You've had a chance to, to check this new one out. What are your initial thoughts? So, 
Um, I really, I actually really do like this tablet. Uh, now, I have to, you know, warn everyone out there that if you are an Apple user, it might be a little bit challenging at first. But um, and and that's because I'm an Apple user. I use a lot of Apple products, um, and I, I my computer at home is also an Apple computer. But um, I used the the Surface Go tablet for about uh, I would say like a week and a half ish, or maybe even two weeks, and I, I I kind of reoriented my mind to use the tablet, and you know. Quite frankly, like it's it's not as hard as you would think, and I think that in my initial um, thoughts on it was like, you know what, this is a good tablet. Like I could probably use this, and and it would be really good for on the go people. Uh, and and what kind of price point are we looking uh, here? So uh, in Canada, it's about five hundred and twenty nine dollars. So it's. Uh, you know, it's kind of pricey, but it's also, for what you get from it, it's quite good for the price. Um, there's a lot of capabilities uh, that comes with it, but I have to also let you know that when you buy the tablet, it's just the tablet on its own, and the tablet isn't as functional if you don't buy the stylus as in like the pen or the uh, the typewriter that comes with it, which also acts as a cover. Um, and I really highly recommend that whoever does buy it, they, they actually get this because there's no point in using the tablet if you don't have at least the keyboard. Yeah, totally makes sense. Uh, but do you think it's got the power to run all the programs uh, that uh, people need to today? No. Okay. So here's, this was my biggest thing and I thought was kind of um, wonky. And so this tablet actually works off of S mode, which is uh, Microsoft's um, special, I guess, installation um, platform. Uh, it runs on, off of that. And, and because it's off of that, it actually uh, limits the number of applications that you can use, which means that you can't actually, you know, do Google Chrome, for example. You actually have to only limit yourself to using what Microsoft offers, which is Microsoft Edge. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I think the purpose of limiting it does make it a little bit of a disadvantage to some users who might want to use many other apps that probably aren't, isn't capable uh, to run on, on, on the Surface Go. Talking with Shruti Shikar all about the new Microsoft Surface Go. Is it right for you? So overall, who would you say that you would recommend this to? I honestly would recommend it to anyone who's really on the go. I think this would be really great for students because it, you know, it's something that you can, you know, pull out in your classroom. There's a kickout stand. It's just you, you can just do it. I would say it's really good for professionals who are, you know, business travelers who are on the go. I, I really do like the tablet. I think there are some good functionalities that comes with it. There are some cons like the casing can get dirty sometimes. But I mean, really, I don't, I don't think that's what most people are looking at. Like, oh, my tablet got dirty. I think people are thinking about, you know, the functionality and how they can use it. Uh, and I really do think that it would be really beneficial for people who are on-the-go users and, um, you know, students. We're talking with Shruti Shakar from IT World Canada. You can check out uh, her review there online and uh, some of the other great stuff she writes about. Thanks for joining us, Shruti. Thanks a lot for having me, Mike. You know what's interesting, Graham? Uh, Microsoft does such a great job with the, uh, the Surface line of tablets slash laptops uh, over the past few years. Um, but I wonder, you know, if they've made a big enough dent in that that market. I mean, a, a lot of people that I know uh, who use Microsoft Surface basically look at it as sort of the alternative to the iPad or the MacBook. These are people who typically are quite creative. Um, you know, they're, they're well-educated individuals. They own their own businesses, but they're very much not iPhone, not Apple people. And so they're looking for something that has this same cachet. Yeah, same yeah. build quality and same design sense. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting one because, you know, 
Windows systems typically in the past have traded on things like feeds and speeds, specs. Yes. How fast is it? How much uh, hard drive does it have? How big is the video card? Um, and with the Surface system of machines, you know, the Surface 1 through the Surface 4, they had fairly decent specifications, but it really started to become less and less important. It's just, does it do what it says it's going to do? And Windows 10 has actually been sort of a, a good uh, thing for that. Um, you know, Windows RT, I think, was a really, it was a major misstep. That was Microsoft. kind of a scaled-down version of Windows. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was designed to work on uh, on ARM processors, and you know they sort of angered Intel to a little bit by creating the uh, translator that ran x64 code on it. So a very delicate space there, right? It's uh, it's kind of like Google, where you know Microsoft makes the operating system and they make the operating system for everybody else. Uh, but now they've got this premium line of products, and I think a lot of OEMs were looking at it going. Well, you're starting to eat our lunch, guys. Like yeah. Asus and Acer and MSI, who have these premium, beautifully crafted machines, are now looking at Surface and going, um, <laughs> that's my market But share. you know what? They needed a kick in the pants because they were churning out the same laptops year after year. And when Microsoft came out with that, it was like a tablet. You attached a, a keyboard, like a thin keyboard to it magnetically. It, it was different. It was very different. It was, like, it, was like a, it was like an iPad, but like a real computer. Yeah, and their implementation of their, of their pen is quite good. I yes. mean, I've always said that if I, if I was going to go Android, I would have to buy a Pixel. Um, if I was going to go Windows again for anything other than gaming, Surface. I would go with the Surface. It's, yeah. a, it's a nicely built machine. But it's interesting because, uh, you know, I've got an iPad Pro, for example, and I love that thing. Uh, I, I still use it as an iPad, and yet I can magnetically attach this keyboard and type away. But I find with the Surface, uh, I wonder how many people actually use it as a tablet. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, the most that I've seen of it typically has been on that tented keyboard. Yes. Right? Like, I've actually got my iPad Pro sitting in front of me right now in the same sort of configuration with the keyboard case and whatnot. And that's typically how I see it, um, how I see the Surface. I know, I know for myself, I mean, when I go home, I actually pull the keyboard case off and I use the iPad as a consumption machine as yeah, opposed to a and creation I do, machine. I do too. Yeah. But I just, I just wonder how many people do that with a Surface. I'd, I'd be curious to know. Yeah. I don't think it's as high as like the iPad Pros. I would agree. I think it's very much more of a computer use machine than a tablet use machine. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking apps. We'll get our app of the week. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. It's that time for App of the Week with Graham. What do we got? This week we've got Note Shelf 2, and this is a really cool note-taking app. Now, there are lots of note-taking apps out there, but this one kind of really bridges the gap between your iPhone, your iPad, and your Apple Watch. So on your iPhone, great, you can tap away, you can take notes, you can record with a microphone. On the iPad, you can use handwriting recognition to uh, write on the actual tablet and have that convert into text. But one of my favorite features is actually the recording on Apple Watch. So basically, you tap one button, it records directly on the watch itself, and Voice. then... And voice, and it will synchronize that back to your uh, all of your devices over either iCloud or Evernote. Very, very cool little thing. Great for organization of your notes. Uh, the app itself, it's a lot of app, but it sells for $13.99, and that is for iOS. It's called Note Shelf 2. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, every Sunday, 10 a.m. here on CKW980. It's awesome. If you've got a smartphone, you've got a tablet, a smart TV, or one of these voice assistants, we talk about all the latest, greatest apps and voice skills. You're listening to Get Connected. Thanks for joining us today. We're logging off. Mike and Graham, we'll see you again next time. 
You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.